This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Having a financial foundation, having the choices that money offers me has changed everything about my life and changed my confidence in every other area of my life. Right? I'm seeking a partner because I, you know, I want a partnership. I want love, right? It's not money, money driven for me. I get to travel, I get to start a business and employ people, I get to donate to causes I believe in. Like everything opens up to you when you have those those choices that money offers. And so that's the feeling I want for every single woman. Let's take a breath. <sighs> hey guys, I'm Cindy Litwako and welcome to Something to Share. Every Wednesday, I sit down with people you may have seen on your TV screens, experts in their fields, or just people I find inspirational so that they have a platform to dive into the things that they really want to talk about. We all have something to share, something that we're going through, and something that we need to hear. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope that you are doing amazing and that this is a good week for you. Thanks for pressing play. I think you are going to love this one. And if nothing else, you're going to take away a lot from this episode. If you have ever felt lost when it comes to organizing your money, when it comes to investing, the ups and downs of financing or anything related to money, this episode is for you. And even if you are an expert in this area, I think you're going to learn a lot in this episode maybe even take away something new. We have Tori Dunlap on the podcast. She's super well known on the app TikTok. So if you haven't downloaded it yet, highly recommend. I love it because I always learn something while I'm scrolling through. And Tori is one that I keep coming back to. She's a great follow. She's known for what she calls her first 100K, which is a financial education company. She wants to teach people, especially women, how to understand money, what to do with the money they have, and how to make more of it. She has tons of tools to help you grow your wealth and know exactly what to do when you do grow it. And what I love about her most is that she helps people and women especially create a better mindset around money. I have had my own struggles with my relation to how I saw money for a while. Money was something that I feared not making it. Everyone always wants to make more money, but the fear that I had around looking at my finances or always feeling like there's not enough or I can't get enough with what I'm doing or that I'm not capable of making what I need to survive or to be independent. So I wish I would have found Tori a while ago, but it's so important to learn about things like money and wealth and think about things like the future and what to do in the future. And will you have enough for things like retirement and other really important things like 401k and how to invest? She tells really great stories of women that she's helped. She also gives some good warnings of people who have made mistakes when it comes to money and what has happened to them and how we cannot make those mistakes ourselves. But I hope with anything from this episode, you feel your own power with money and that you leave this episode feeling informed and ready to make a shift if you need to or continue on the path that you're on or just some really good habits to take away from Tori and all of her knowledge. Definitely share this one with someone that you know that you love. I think financial freedom is essentially freedom. And when we have those resources and we know how to support ourselves, we can, we're setting ourselves up for a successful life and a successful future, which I want that for all of you. And so does Tori. So I know you're going to love this one guys. Like I said, I had my own hangups around money and I still sometimes go back to those hangups. We, I think, are programmed how we see money based on how we grew up. So for me, money always felt like I would have it and then it get it would get taken away and then I would have it again and then it would get taken away. So my parents definitely did their best to not make us feel like we struggled with money, but there were definitely times where money was short and I had to not do certain clubs or not do certain things that my friends were doing or not dance when I wanted to. I remember a time where there wasn't enough money and then my dad had to take me out of what we called dance company, which is where you get to compete in local 
competitions and go with your friends to different places in the US. It was super fun. But I remember money was taken away and I couldn't do company and all my friends were still doing it. And my one friend was having a birthday party and she had the company perform. And I had just been removed from the experience and I had to watch all of my friends dancing together at this party while I watched from the sidelines while a girl that I didn't like very much was wearing my dance costume. That is just a very burned in my mind memory of how being short on money equaled me not having opportunities that I wanted and me almost being deprived from things that my friends were not being deprived of. So it's an interesting to look back on figuring out what your money story is and how you can change it and how that will affect how you approach working, business, investing, all of those things. So I hope you take away a lot from this one. My something to share today. I realized that I was wondering when this is going to happen for me. I realized the other day that I feel old. (laughs) And I was wondering when that feeling was going to happen, that feeling of like, oh, I don't need to keep up anymore. I don't need to do all the things that I was doing in my 20s. I'm now 30. And I think I realized this when I was scrolling through social media and seeing everyone at Coachella. And normally my feeling with seeing something like that would be jealous or feel like I'm missing out or anything that would come up. But I I saw all of those videos and all of the people reviewing what happened at Coachella. And I was like, I had no desire to be there whatsoever. Um, I don't know what that's about, but it's just the idea of being in the middle of a desert with loud music, staying up late, wearing barely any clothing and having to put together all of these crazy festival outfits and looks and take all this insane content and be in the scene of it all. I was like, that sounds exhausting. Power to those people who can show up and do all that work that it takes to be in Palm Springs and participate in all those activities. But yeah, I think that ship has sailed for me right now and I'm okay with that. One day you just wake up and you're like, you know what? I don't need to do that. I'm good just hanging out at my house or I'm good just going to bed at 9 p.m. and waking up feeling good in the morning, not hungover, not exhausted, not looking at my bank account with anxiety from the money that I might have spent from the night before. Yeah, I'm good on that on those times. I was watching some of those videos and a girl had said that Coachella Ubers to and from anywhere were impossible to get one what they were running for $400, starting at $400 to get an Uber to and from the desert. Um, That's enough for me. (laughs) I think from learning what Tori is going to talk about today, I don't think $400 Ubers are really in the cards for what we're going to discuss. But if you went or if you want to go, more power to you. I commend you guys for being able to go to a weekend like that. I just the amount of like effort and time and energy and long hours that you must have to put into a weekend like that. I mean, it's incredible. Good for you guys. <laughs> also, we are in the last two weeks of tour. And although it's been a very exciting journey and adventure, I am, we, I would say as a group, are all very ready for it to come to a close and to go back to normal life. Um, There's something to say for being in the same city every single day. Waking up in a new city each day is definitely rough. Sleeping on the bus is definitely rough. And all the ups and downs of packing and unpacking your bags and living on the road, it's definitely a fun experience and something really cool and something I'm really grateful that I got to do again. Um, But I'm definitely ready to go back to my own bed, be with Nick, be with Dixie, do normal things like cooking my own meals, making my bed, and all of the normal simple things that I'm used to. There's it's some some things are just a lot harder when you're traveling like this. Healthy habits are difficult. Staying healthy, getting good sleep is hard. Getting good workout in is hard because you never really know where you're going to be and sometimes you're in the middle of nowhere. So I'm definitely happy to go back to normal life for a while um, and really dive into all of the projects that I want to work on and even more wedding planning. So a lot of fun things coming up. I will say overall the experience has been positive. 
And I'm very grateful that I got to come back here and do it again, finish out what was cut very short in 2020. It's insane that it's already two years later and we finally did it. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to get back to normal life and really jump into the next adventure. Um, Please enjoy this episode with Tori, you guys. Share it with someone that you think needs to hear it. Please tag us on social media at Something to Share Podcast. And before you go, make sure that you like and follow the podcast so you can be the first to know about new episodes every Wednesday. And I always love a good five-star review. You guys make my week. I hope that you're good and healthy out there and that you really enjoy this one with Tori. So without further ado, guys, here is Tori Dunlap. Okay. Well, Tori, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to meet you and get into this conversation. It's definitely one that I personally need. Um, How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited too. So for the people who might not be aware of you, who might not be in your very large TikTok following, uh, finance group, all the things, can you give me a little background on who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Tori Dunlap. I run Her First 100K, which is a money and career platform for women. And I believe I was put on this earth to fight for women's financial rights. So I help women pay off debt, save money, invest, negotiate their salaries, start businesses, and basically build their financial confidence. I don't think we have any sort of equality for any marginalized group until we have financial equality. And so uh, my work is around fighting the patriarchy by making by making women rich. So my work's been featured in a bunch of different publications, Good Morning America, CNBC, The New York Times, Forbes, you name it. And uh, yeah, we're a community of over 3 million, including uh, the Financial Feminist Podcast, which is one of the the top business podcasts in the world, which is crazy. So yeah, it's it's been such a wild ride over the past couple of years. That's amazing. And it just goes to show like how fast you grew. It seems how much people needed it. I mean, you just started that podcast and there's already like thousands of reviews and all the things. So congratulations. That's incredible. Thank you. Um, first, before we jump into all of the millions of questions I have, let's go into my first initial one. So I always ask this of every guest to either share something from their nightstand, surprising or with an interesting backstory. So Tori, what does that bring up for you? Yeah. Um, there's always two things on my nightstand. A journal. Uh, I write every night uh, at least three things I'm grateful for, and it typically is like a good recap for my day. And then I'll write at least three affirmations and I am statements. And so I do that pretty much every night. I'm sometimes like last night, I had a late night, so it didn't happen last night, but I try to keep it every night. And then the other uh, one that's probably the most surprising is I keep angel cards on my nightstand. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mentor who um, was the first person I lived with when I graduated. I lived in her basement and she became kind of like a mentor and a second mom to me. And we would pull angel cards every day before we went to work. And for those of you who don't know, they're just a bunch of cards with a bunch of different words on them, like, um, uh, strength or love or comfort. And basically I'll pull them, I'll pull them whenever I need them, but I typically do it repeatedly every Sunday. And those are my two kind of words for the week. Um, and so, yeah, I pull angel cards every week, every, every Sunday night. And then just whenever I'm in need of, of a little message. So it's a really great way to just kind of reflect on, on how you want to bring that word into your week or mm-hmm. a good reminder for something that's already going on as like a confirmation that, you know, you need that thing moving forward. Mm, I love that. I actually haven't heard of angel cards. I heard of like tarot yeah. cards and all the things. They're, but... they're the similar, similar concept, right? But it's yeah. just, yeah, they're little tiny. I, you can't see it, but it's probably like the size of your thumb. Like they're little uh-huh. tiny cards. And then I just have them in an old like Bed Bath & Beyond like candle container. Oh. <laughs> and so I'll just shake them and I'll just pull two. So yeah, um, there's been, yeah, a couple really weird moments throughout my life where I've pulled exactly the card I need to hear, you know, or a mm-hmm. card that's like, oh, that's really, that's an interesting one. So yeah, it's, it's really great. Uh, really great, like self-reflective practice that I, that I do. I love that. I'm going to look into those because cool. that just sounds so nice. Yeah, um, last question on that. Anything that's been in your heart or minds lately that you want to talk through? Oh, that's a lovely question. Um, lots of things. I think one of the, I mean, we could talk for an hour about this, so I'm going to like open a can of worms and then promptly close it. But, um, as I've grown a following and as, um, I've become more and more well-known to people, which is absolutely lovely. Um, I don't think we fully understand until you're in it, 
the um, sort of pressure that comes with that. And I feel like um, I'll do a whole episode on my podcast about this because I think we have to talk about it. But um, with with the Internet, I don't know if we're as giving and as graceful with mistakes as long as that person is actually committed to not making that mistake again or committed to growth. Um, And so I've just lately been dealing with this feeling of constantly looking over my shoulder and really scared of uh, and you might need to bleep it out, but scared of fucking up. Like I'm really, I'm worried about that. Not because I'm f- afraid of failure, but because I'm afraid of the response. Yeah. And of course, you know, if I do make a mistake, especially if it happens publicly, I'm going to be the first one to acknowledge it and work to fix it. I just hope that we offer the people that we, you know, whose spaces we inhabit, that we offer them the grace and the mercy to be able to handle that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just something, I just feel this pressure a lot all the time now of just, trying to please everyone while also being like, how do I set my own boundaries and maintain my own sanity while also realizing that like everything now as a public person is available for scrutiny. And like, Mm -hmm. I didn't really ask for that, but none of us really ask for it. And so it's just, it's a really interesting, um, it's an interesting thing that I'm, I'm working through and dealing with of this feeling of just like, yeah, a constant, a constant like fear or um, just, yeah, something that I'm thinking about all the time of like, am I allowed to make a mistake? Are we allowed to make mistakes? And trying to create a community where, where mistakes are allowed and that, um, you know, again, as long as you, you handle them gracefully, that, that, you know, they're not the end of the world. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I like that you're talking about it. And it just, I think it shows for me how much you care and how much you mm-hmm. have put into this community. Um, I feel like you're almost like bracing for impact, which is inevitable with the internet. Um, but I, I hope that people offer that too. And I think it's helpful for you to just even like voice that and for people to hear that. So maybe yeah. they'll like rethink, maybe it's not with you or with someone else, how they react to certain things, but it's tough when the more that you have eyes on you, the more vulnerable you are, but you almost need that to help the greater good. So yeah, yeah. I, I totally get it. I feel like a lot of people, unfortunately, come into spaces, especially online with their popcorn, ready for somebody to fall off the very pedestal that they put them on. Right. Like if you're coming into my community or somebody else's with the sole purpose of like being excited, if they fuck up, like, I need you to not be a part of the community. Like, you know, and, and it's an interesting conversation about the whole, and I'm putting this in quotes, cancel culture thing, right. Where there's some people who should, you know, there's so been so many people who need to be held accountable for their actions and others who I feel like again, there's like, it's, it's, it's a spectrum and it's a hard conversation to have in like two seconds. So I'm not going to try to do it necessarily, but it's really interesting where, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I want people to want me to be the best person I can be. And if that means holding me accountable, amazing, but that means doing it in a loving way. And I expect, you know, to do the same of other people. And I I say all this, not as someone who's like sitting on a, like a crazy secret or something that I'm afraid is going to come out. It's just like, this is, it's like the weird fear of just like, yeah, like I don't have anything. I don't think I have any skeletons in my closet. I hope I don't have any, but it's like, it's that feeling. And that almost is what makes it worse as I like have this fear of something to to your point about bracing for impact. I like have this fear of something that like, I, I don't know, will probably happen at some point, but who knows if it will, you know? So it's like, it feels irrationally rational. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, I think it's totally rational. I mean, I remember going on, I went on The Bachelor many years ago, but like sure. I combed through every single thing I had because I was just like so fearful of something going wrong and something did go wrong at some point, but like right. you, yeah, it's, it's well, so and you're gonna mixed. Fuck up, right? Yeah. And I think it's about how you handle it. And that's yeah. ultimately the only thing I have control over is if, exactly. you know, I have made mistakes. I will make mistakes that will happen. And so bracing for impact is true. Like I, I will fuck up publicly. I have before I'll do it again, but yeah. it's just a matter of the fear that like that will not be taken with grace and understanding. And like, yeah, you fucked up. However, we appreciate, you know, you acknowledging and we expect you to do better. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's what I hope we just as a society give each other is from a place of like love and wanting the best for that person or wanting them to be the best person that they can be. Um, as opposed to, Oh, we're so happy that they fucked up because we get to watch it burn. Yeah. Now. So. Well, I hope 
for your sake and your community's sake, it doesn't happen to you, but you sound very prepared for if it does. So, well, and I will fuck up because I'm human and we're all human, you know? So it's, it's, it's less, I'm less worried about my response to it and more worried about we've created such a supportive community, but the internet's also just a scary place and a very, at times, unforgiving place. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, I I totally feel you, and I don't have an answer. But again, you sound like also it's like oh, poor privileged white woman talking about like how people potentially will come for her. But like when it happens all the time to everybody else, so you know there's there's so much privilege in the in this fear. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's something that I I am now having to to think about and contend with of just it yeah the fear of uh, less of like getting quote unquote called out or something like that, but more just like everything is being scrutinized, and that's a really Mm -hmm interesting feeling. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, let's talk about the good side of the internet and your community and how it. you yeah, how you got to where you are. Um, you're creating this beautiful community of helping people to become like financially well and empowered and I want to know like before Tori, like before you decided to do all of this, like what were you seeing a need of in maybe not necessarily the market but just like the female community of like what we needed financially or what we needed to learn before you? came yeah. along. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not the first person to do this work. I won't be the last. I think for me, it was, um, I, I graduated college in 2016. I graduated with dual degrees in marketing and theater. I didn't study finance. I didn't even technically study business and, you know, came into adulthood, came into womanhood as a 22 year old in a country that I thought was going to have its first female president. And instead, of course, Trump got elected in 2016. Yeah. It just came into a different America than I expected. And, we're having, I was having conversations with, with friends, female identifying friends, and just the realization that like, no one is, no one is talking about money in a transparent way. They were coming to me about like, what's a Roth IRA? How do I budget? How do I invest? And I realized that the education my parents had given me and the mindset they had given me around money was in fact a privilege. And with that privilege came a responsibility. And so for me, it just became so obvious then, like I said in the intro that like, I don't think we have any sort of equality until we have financial equality. And so how can we not only give women actionable resources to better their money, but work to change the very systems that cause this inequity or this inequality. And um, so I was running her first 100K on the side and was was really viewing money as a form of protest. And I think that that's the, the, probably the biggest reason that her first 100K has been so successful is is uh, up until this point, there haven't been a lot of communities that that are that way around money and that are transparent and... Um, inclusive without being shaming or judgmental um, and without being super like bro-y. So um, yeah, I was growing her first 100K on the side of my nine to five in marketing. And then um, the origin story was me saving my first 100K. And so I hit my 100K goal and then was on Good Morning America and quit my job three weeks later and haven't really looked back. And so it's been a, like I said in, in the intro, it's been a crazy ride since then. And it's been so cool to watch just uh, how big our our work or how much of an impact our work has on people. Um, mm-hmm. It's the fucking coolest. Yeah. It's yeah. life-changing for it sure. It literally is. It's so cool. And I mean, I've seen that in my own life, like having a financial foundation, having the choices that money offers me has changed everything about my life and yeah. changed my confidence in every other area of my life. You know, I, I am not, uh, you know, seeking a partner because I need a financial you know, I need a financial out or I need financial stability that a man can offer, right? I'm seeking a partner because I, you know, I want a partnership. I want love, right? It's not money, money driven for me. Mm-hmm. I get to travel. I get to start a business and employ people. I get to donate to causes I believe in. Like everything opens up to you when you have those, those choices that money offers. And so that's the feeling I want for every single woman. I love that. And it seems like before you get this education or like understanding of money in general and your own money, there is so much fear around it. And I know that I like myself get a lot of anxiety around money. And it's for me, what I tend to do is like hoard it and then not really like know the right steps to take. So I just like hold on to it, um, which I know is not the best way to handle it. That's so like totally why why is um, money so – why is it so f- – fear mongering in a way like why is it why are we so fearful of talking about money and even looking at it um, I mean, more closely yeah i mean we need a couple hours to like peel back the layers <laughs> right. of that onion but um no i have i have a um podcast episode i think it's the third episode called overcoming your psychological bullshit around money and it talks about a lot of the things you just said of like 
our money habits, our money tendencies. And the vast majority mm-hmm. of the way we view money and our money habits are actually cemented by age seven, which shocks people. So by second grade, the way you view money or the, your default way of viewing money is largely already cemented and committed. Mm. And what I do in that episode is the first, I lead people through a journaling exercise. And the first question I ask is what is your first money memory? What is the first time that you can remember consciously thinking about money? And for many people, it's realizing I didn't have enough or watching my parents argue about money or mm-hmm. you know, growing up in a first gen household where like money was so tight and so that's a common response of like hoarding money of mm-hmm. maybe you didn't have a lot of money growing up or, you know, the way that you saw your parents manage money. That's directly impacting the way you manage money now. And for me, the first money memory I have was saving change in an Altoids tin to go see a musical. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, if you want to go, if you want to buy something, go save your money, you know, and then you can buy it. And that dictates a lot of how I view money now. Um, in a more like wide angle or wide scope view, we're told certain narratives about money that I 100% believe are uh, perpetuated by the patriarchy or perpetuated by these inequality and, you know, inequitable unjust systems. Like talking about money is taboo or tacky, Mm -hmm. so don't do it, right? That is a narrative by the patriarchy to keep women and other marginalized groups underpaid and overworked, 100%, Mm -hmm. because they profit off of our silence, they profit off of our inaction. Um, investing's just for men or investing's intimidating, so you shouldn't do it. That's a mm-hmm. narrative I hear all the time, right? And that's a classic, again, a narrative of we already have money, we already have power. And if we tell you it's actually the best way to build wealth, or if we tell you that it's actually not as hard as you think it is, we've made it more difficult to make ourselves feel smarter, then uh, we have to give that up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, oh, you can just be rich if you work hard right? The American bootstraps, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, American dream narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And we know that that's not true. Or like the reason you're not rich is because you frivolously spend, which is such a, uh, a sexist narrative. Frivolous spending is lattes and manicures, but somehow not like season tickets to a football team or power <laughs> tools, right? Like yeah. the things that are deemed, and I'm putting frivolous in quotes, the things that are deemed frivolous are the things that that are typically, stereotypically feminine or female. And so there's all of these narratives that you're consistently taught about money. The biggest one being, well, don't talk about it. And uh, if you know Brene Brown's work, she's an amazing shame researcher. And she talks about how like shame lives in shadow. And the more, the more um, you don't discuss things and the less vulnerable you are, the more that shame continues to grow. So, you know, we take the most taboo topic. We're more likely to talk about literally anything, sex, uh, politics, mm-hmm. death, we're more likely to have any other conversation than we are about money. So no wonder we feel weird about it. No wonder we have shame and embarrassment and guilt around money because we're not sharing a, our stories with each other. So mm-hmm. if there's one thing I'm trying to get people to do more, of course, besides like look at their money and try to make smart financial choices, is just start talking about money with people you trust. Talk about yeah. it with your partner if you have one. Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it with your family. Like that's, that's such a huge, a huge shift in the way society views money right now. Those are such amazing points. Thank you for all of those. And yeah, that even just the seven-year-old thing, that's makes so much sense because we're told like you also get programmed about like love at, to that age. So it makes sense that mm-hmm. money would be the same. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when you go back and look at it, it almost makes it less scary just because you see of where those habits had started or where they came from. Yeah. And I totally – see why mine were the hoarding because of yeah we had issues with money and the first memory I have is like my parents fighting over it or things getting taken away from me because of money so it makes sense I'm wondering now moving forward from that like how do we get our as you say financial shit together like what are some steps that we can take and then I want to take it further from there with after the initial like starting off how do we get our shit together yeah yeah, we have, um, again, I'm plugging it again, but we have a bunch of great resources on our, our podcast called Financial Feminist. We have an episode called The Financial Game Plan, and it takes you basically through, okay, what are your financial goals in what order? And the first one is an emergency fund. And you'll hear from a lot of financial experts that um, they're kind of obsessed with paying off debt. And although we do want to pay off your debt, I argue that the number one priority should be having something in the bank to cover you in case something happens. Because it will. It's just a matter of when, right? Mm-hmm. An emergency will come up. And I don't want you going into more debt or debt at all trying to pay for an emergency. And I also want you sleeping better at night, knowing that you have something in the bank. 
And one of the ways to build your savings, probably the best way to build your savings is through automating your savings. So you can go into your bank and you can say, okay, once a month or once every paycheck, I want this amount of money taken out of my checking account and put into my savings account. And it happens on autopilot. You don't have to think about it. It's what we call in the industry paying yourself first. If you are giving Netflix more money automated every month than you're paying yourself, like I'm not saying cancel your Netflix subscription, but I am saying if you are giving this billion dollar company more money than you're giving yourself, maybe rethink that decision, right? And it, if you were able to, yeah, maybe it's Hulu or HelloFresh or something, right? If But if you are putting aside money automated every month for something, you can do the same thing for your savings. Mm-hmm. And that way you're doing the hard thing first, as opposed to a lot of people wait to the end of the month to save money. And then they're like, I have no money in the account to save anymore, <laughs> right? So it's just like another bill. You're paying yourself first, you're setting aside money into savings and you're doing it consistently. It's not like one lump sum or like, once every two years, you're doing it on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Even if that's 20 bucks, if that's all you can do a month, amazing. That's huge. Just getting into that habit of automatically saving money, putting money aside for yourself is, is probably my biggest tip and very actionable. You can literally go to your bank account and set this up today. Mm. Love that. Taking it further, like saving money, yes, but then investing it from there. I feel like that is where like a lot of the questions come from, like what the hell is investing? What should we be investing in? There's all these other things like what what is it? Yeah, I mean, and and again, I could talk to you for hours about it, but investing – a lot of the the conversation that happens about investing that is very popular on TikTok or Reddit is the more like gambling side of investing. Mm Mm-hmm. My definition of the word invest, and actually the dictionary definition of the word invest, is to put time, energy, money into something for a long period of time, expecting a desired outcome, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of these, like, you can be rich by next week. Like, if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. And really, at the end of the day, investing, investing in the stock market is something that you're doing over decades. It is a long, long time growing your wealth consistently and stable. I like saying that investing shouldn't be sexy. Like it shouldn't be fancy. It shouldn't be sexy. It should be consistent over a long period of time. And unfortunately, there is this huge, especially around investing, this huge knowledge gap between Mm -hmm. men because men grow up feeling comfortable talking about stocks and feel comfortable doing that. And women are actually better investors when we do invest. And so we launched an investing education app last month called Treasury that is really committed to educating women about investing. Um, The biggest thing to think about, again, in addition to like giving yourself a lot of time with the environment being so male dominated, you actually need to invest way earlier than you think you do. Um, Again, even if it's just a small amount of money. So we know we're making less money because of the wage gap, right? 78 cents to a man's dollar. It's even worse for most women of color groups, but we're not talking about the investing gap. So women are either waiting longer to invest or not investing at all. And the number one reason they cite is fear, fear of doing it incorrectly, fear of making a mistake, fear they're going to lose all their money. And yet we live as women seven years longer than men do. Hmm. So it's taking less money and then it's growing at a slower rate. And then we're expected to live longer on that money. And so again, even if it's just $20 in a workplace retirement account, like a 401k or opening what's called uh, an IRA, an individual retirement account, that is the best way to start growing your wealth. Budgeting, Hmm. saving, All of those things are important. I talk about them all the time, but like investing is the thing that builds wealth. And it's the thing that unfortunately women are not doing at the rate they really need to in order to take care of themselves as they age. Yeah. So, so true. Okay. I'm going to, you're going to inspire me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be more. It's really not intimidating. I promise you (laughs) that like all of these like small dicked men have like come up with all of this bullshit jargon because it literally makes them feel better that they're like, oh, it's super complicated. It's not complicated at all. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why we launched a platform where like we guide you through exactly how to make a smart investment and how to choose your investments so that you feel like we're not, you know, we're not fishing for you. We're teaching you how to fish so, so that you can do this for the next 30, 40 years of your life. And in a way that is not Wall Street Chad, you know, super broy in a way that like is super intimidating where you don't feel like you can ask questions. Um, it's really not that complicated. And I I'm telling you as a theater major who is now a financial expert, like it's not complicated. 
they just like feeling better about themselves and it boosts their own ego to create all this jargon and create this, yeah, to, to gatekeep all this information from us. Yes. I'm going to link all of that for everyone. So if you're like wondering where this all is, it'll be in the show notes. But um, I did see it on, I think, a TikTok video where it's like starting investing or we put it in the account, but then we forget to take it one step further. What is that yes. little tip? Thank you for highlighting that. Yes. If you've been tuning me out, I need you to come back. I need you to like just (laughs) listen to this one thing. So I'll tell a quick story. And I've actually, I told the story in the podcast as well, but I sat on a panel a couple of years ago and I was sitting next to a financial advisor and she talked about this client, let's call her Mary. And Mary was a teacher and Mary starting at age like 25, set aside a certain amount of money, every single paycheck into her, like her retirement account that was offered through the school district. And she did this every single month, a certain amount of money for her entire career. So from ages like 25 to 70, when she finally retired, she set aside money every single paycheck for her own retirement. But what she had realized is she never had actually invested that money. Mm. And it like, I can't talk about this without crying because it just breaks my heart. When it comes to investing, it is a two-step process. Putting money in a bank account is a one-step process. So you put $1,000 in a bank account, you're done. With investing, you not only have to deposit that $1,000, you then need to go purchase your investments. So I explain it like it's a gift card. Like you go and you put $20 on a TJ Maxx gift card, and now you got to buy your plants and your candles and your throw pillows, right? Like you are not actually invested until you take the money and go purchase your investment. And that's part of what we teach in Treasury, like how to make those investment choices. But what had happened with Mary was that she had diligently saved for her own retirement for what is the math on that? Like 50 years, 45 years. But instead of multi-millions of dollars, which would have covered her for the next 30 years in retirement, Mm. she had earned nothing in interest because it was just sitting there waiting to be invested. So it wasn't even like bank account interest. It was just sitting, waiting to be invested. So it was only her actual savings that she had put away rather than the percentage interest that she would have made on the stock market. And she couldn't afford to retire. And like, I know that's a really scary story. I need you to check. Like if you are investing already, like I need you to go verify that you have actually chosen your investments. And one of the biggest red flags that you haven't chosen your investments is if they haven't grown at all. (laughs) If they've been Mm -hmm. sitting for like a year or haven't done anything, if they haven't changed, if that number hasn't changed at all in six months or a year, even like three months, that's a huge red flag. So please go make sure that you've actually done step two. And if you Mm -hmm. are a new investor, make sure you do step two. It's not just deposit your money. It's then go choose your investments. Thank you so much for explaining that. Yeah, that's so major. And I've never even heard anyone say that before. So wow. Right. Well, again, these are like, this is the bullshit (laughs) jargon of like, they want to talk about like, you know, investing 401, which is like shorting stocks and day trading. And I'm like, you're not explaining the like the basics that no one knows, which is like, oh, you have to do step. T-. You know, it's like, it's just, yeah, it's classic jargon bullshit where they leave everybody out that actually needs this information. So. Uh, okay. One more question on that. Do you recommend like a percentage of what we should be investing or just like whatever we're comfortable with? What is yeah. your recommendation? There is no magical percentage. There is no like one size fits all. Everybody's going to be different. If you want to retire early, let's say you're going to ramp that percentage up, right? If you want to hit financial independence, you're going to be saving more of your income than someone who is trying to you know retire at 65. Um, you know, you might have children, you might uh, be supporting a parent. So, you know, there's, there's various, various like, you know, levers of that equation. Experts do say that you should aim eventually as you build your career to be saving 20% of your after-tax income just for retirement, which is a huge chunk. And unfortunately, what we see is not enough people are saving enough for retirement. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost half of the American population that's over 55 have nothing saved for retirement, like literally have zero dollars in their investing accounts or in their retirement accounts. So even if you have 200 bucks, you're doing better, unfortunately, than half of the American population. Um, and you know, I, I work with people and women, uh, at every age level, but predominantly millennials and Gen Z, and I'm trying to prevent that number. I'm trying to, to decrease that percentage. Um, so there, again, there is no magical percentage, but if you do get a workplace retirement program, like a 401k, please take advantage of it, especially if you get what's called a match. So your employer will say sometimes, okay, if you contribute 3% of your salary, we will match you at 3%, meaning that you just doubled your money for only half the effort. It is free money. 
please do everything you can to take advantage of that. So yeah, if it's a 4% match, at least contribute up to the match because again, free money. Yeah. I miss that about being fully employed. <laughs> Me too. I miss that too. I wish yeah. I could ask. I'm like, can my employer match? And I'm like, oh, I am my employer. Yeah, well, that, I guess I can. Me. I don't know. <laughs> more of my own money. Um, you're really good about this as well, is helping us to make more money in general. I think some yeah. of your advice is like how to ask for higher wage- wages or even if you're self-employed, like ways that we can overall just make more money. Yeah. Companies, brands, clients expect you to negotiate. That's something that is just so, feels so obvious, but no one's discussing. Like, they expect to have a conversation with you about compensation. And they're actually really kind of shocked when you don't push back. And the majority of women or people of color or women of color are not negotiating. Um, and so not only are you doing yourself an immediate disservice of less money, but if you think about your investing, both your investing gains over 30 years, if you were to take that money and invest it, but also if you start at a higher salary now, well, cool, your next job, you're going to start at a higher salary and then a higher salary you're losing money. You're losing actually a million dollars on average over the course of your lifetime if you're not negotiating. Mm, And so (laughs) I know crazy. So it's like, at least try to negotiate. And again, I'm shamelessly plugging this, but we have so many resources. We have a negotiation course. We have a bunch of resources on our site around negotiation, but companies, brands, whoever you're negotiating with, they expect to have a conversation with you about compensation. They expect pushback. So they're purposefully purposefully offering you less money than their budget, knowing or thinking that, you know, you're going to negotiate upwards. So if you're not negotiating, they're getting you for cheap. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a great, um, it's a great way to just start this relationship with somebody of like, Hey, I know what I'm worth. I'm here to ask for it. Right. As opposed to, I'm going to take whatever I can get. And I'm just happy to be here. Right. Mm -hmm. You can be super happy to be there and also get compensated fairly. Say the other thing that I think is really important to highlight is I like saying that negotiations are collaborations, not conflicts. I think we think we're going to have to like put on our boxing gloves and unsheath our sword and like go to battle for what we, what we're, you know, it's like a fight or an argument. And the truth is you and this other person, whether that's your boss or your potential boss or this potential client, you are on the same team. You're not on opposing teams. You're on the same team trying to solve a problem. And the problem is you not being compensated fairly. Hmm. And I have a feeling you're really good at your job and that's why you're negotiating and you're a great problem solver. All you do is solve problems, right? And so this is just simply another problem to solve. And it really helps to approach it from that mindset as opposed to feeling like I'm going to have to battle this bout or somebody's going to hate me if I ask for more money or they're going to think I'm ungrateful. And it's like, nope, you're just trying to solve a problem and you're going to do it collaboratively with this other person. Yeah. I love that you're reframing that because I I can feel like, I think women can feel like that a lot too. Like I don't want to, you know, or rock the boat too much. I don't want to seem like you right, said. Right. I don't want to be seen yeah. as ungrateful. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, and this is why financial feminism is so important of not just like coupling, like me teaching you how to negotiate, but also trying to change the very system we're in is unfortunately women are largely perceived as ungrateful if we try to negotiate. Right. Like we're perceived as like, like when men negotiate, it's like, oh, they're such providers, right? Mm. Oh, they're providing for themselves and for their family or their future family or whatever. Like, oh yes, they're so great. Like demanding what they're worth. And for women, it's like, oh, you're being a little greedy, Mm. aren't you? Right. And it's like that, that's part of why my work for me is like, I can't just tell you how to negotiate. We also have to have more conversations and, you know, vote and work to change a society that like is already so biased towards, uh, you know, or has bias uh, around these things. So yeah, unfortunately this is, it's a, it's a two-part problem with a two-part solution. Mm, Yeah. Everything has like a deeper meaning to it for sure. Again, peel back the onion and you just keep peeling. Yeah. (laughs) Layers forever. Um, Before I let you go, I want to ask you some questions about just like budgeting. And once we have gotten all the investments going and all this stuff, so like budgeting for things like weddings, which I'm doing right now, or like getting a house eventually or trips or things like that, like great ways to budget Tori's tips on that. Yeah. um, One, you can have as many savings accounts as you want. And so what I recommend people do is have a different savings account for different goals. 
So you have one savings account for your emergency fund and you literally can label it emergency fund. So rather than account number 24601, you can label it emergency fund or Croatian vacation 2023 or you know down payment house fund or wedding fund or wedding dress fund, mm-hmm. right? And that way, psychologically, you are more likely to save money because you can see what that purpose is for that money and you're less likely to take money out. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, oh, well, if I take hundred bucks out of this account, I'm one step further away from having the wedding dress I really want, right? Or having the, the venue I really want. So that's really, really helpful. And again, you can do this completely automated. You can say, okay, I want 10% of my salary to my emergency fund. I want 2% to you know, my, yeah, my house fund. And I want half a percent to my Croatian vacation fund, right? And you can do all of that and set that up completely automated. The other thing I have people do is when you're looking at your spending, um, I don't need you to stop spending money. I just need you to stop spending money on shit that you don't care about. Hmm. Like, I don't need you to stop spending money. I don't want you depriving yourself. 99% of diets don't work. We know they don't work. Um, But I do need you to stop spending your hard-earned money on shit that you only kind of care about or don't care about at all. Hmm. It's the kind of like thoughtless, mindless purchases that we all make when we're trying to emotionally cope, right? Or when we feel pressured to spend because all of our friends are spending. Or yeah, we just, it's- I want your hard-earned money to be going to the things that you actually like. And so being able to analyze that and watch and be more mindful about, oh, interesting. I'm buying this pair of shoes that I don't need and I don't really like because I had a shitty day at work. Hmm. Like, interesting, right? And not judging yourself, but you're simply like an anthropologist in your own life. You're just like, oh, okay. Let me see if I can make a different choice. And again, that's not me going like, oh, I'm so stupid or I'm a piece of shit or like, it's just like, oh, okay, interesting. We are emotionally heightened. Uh, we're really excited and we're about to buy a round of drinks for the entire bar. Okay. Interesting. Like we're going to, okay. That's, that's an interesting choice. Right. And maybe you decide, yeah, I want to buy a round of drinks for this entire bar. I don't know, but I need you to be more mindful about it. And again, I want, you worked really hard for your money and I want that hard earned money going to the things that you love most of all, not just going to things that you feel lukewarm about Mm -hmm. or even worse really actively don't like, um, or feel like a waste of your money. So, um, being more mindful and just watching yourself spend money for a period of time can be really, really great. Yeah. I love your self-care money nights where you sit in like a comfy blanket and go through your money. I was like, yeah, money days. Money days. Yeah. No, those are huge. Yeah. And again, we, we guide you step-by-step through this on the podcast, but literally just like designating financial self-care time. Um, just like you would designate, okay, I'm going to therapy. Okay. I'm going to work out. Okay. I am, you know, seeing my friends, right. You can literally do this to set aside a period of time where you're like, I am committed to looking at my money, to looking at my bank accounts, to setting financial goals. Um, it's like your little financial adulting time. And that's just, that's great. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Last little like question I have is like any last, like maybe quick tips or things that you see that we might be doing wrong with money or how we spend it or with credit cards or anything like that. And then like any like resources that you want to drop for us to start this journey. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I got a ton of resources. Podcast is a great place to go. Financial feminist and also our free money quiz. It gives you your money personality as well as a step-by-step guide based on your financial goals and your, your money personality. Um, we like have kind of combined all those resources in a really easy, uh, easy to find place. Um, I mean, I have a bunch of quick tips again, automate your savings. If you have a workplace retirement program, especially with a match, take advantage of it, watch yourself spend money. And again, without shame or judgment, just, just watch what sort of triggers both positive or negative tend to happen around you spending money. And I think the other thing it's, it's a very specific piece of advice, but you mentioned credit cards. Um, if again, this is why we save the emergency fund first, but really you should not be putting something on a credit card that you can't absolutely afford unless it is like the emergency to end all emergencies. And you either don't have an emergency fund or have already spent it. Right. Like credit cards are so dangerous. They're, they're like knives. Like I love using credit cards because I pay off my credit cards on time and in full. I don't carry a balance ever. I don't even own a debit card. Like I have only credit cards and I, I use them like a debit card and then I pay them off in full every month. Um, but if you don't do that, right, like my knife can chop vegetables. I can also cut myself if I'm not using it correctly. Mm. Right. So mm-hmm. that's the side of it of a lot of people think that you should maintain a balance. That's a myth. Don't do that. Um, again, if at all possible, you should only be using a credit card to spend money that you can already afford to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially at these cards that target women specifically, like 
store cards, store branded cards. Um, there's a, a particular lingerie brand that I won't say by name, but actually we share a name and they're the worst at this. Like they're worst at targeting specifically young girls and women. They know that they aren't financially educated and they know they can take advantage of them and it's predatory behavior mm. and it's awful. And so, um, again, when it comes to money, just in general, if it feels too good to be true, it probably is. If something in your gut is like, this feels off, please listen to that feeling. Whether that's somebody trying to sell you on an investment strategy, someone trying to sell you on a credit card, a friend trying to get you to join a goddamn MLM, like bullshit, right? So like just, just when it comes to money and when it comes to all of life, like just do a gut check. And if your gut says something's off, do some more research, talk to somebody you trust. Um, and yeah, just don't be, don't be conned into it, please. Yeah. I remember my first gap card <laughs> canceled yep. out real fast. Once my mom heard about yeah. it, she's like, no, go back to the store. We're not doing that. Yep. We're canceling that. Yeah. yeah we've, I, I have so many people I've interviewed who literally have had their credit scores tanked from a, yeah, this, this global lingerie brand card or another one of these store cards that they are branded as a rewards card, but it's really a credit card. Mm. Um, so yeah, just, just be wary, be on the lookout friends. Um, sorry, I have one last question for self-employed yeah. people and like in uh, 401k and things like that, like any recommendations yeah. on how to best do that? that? Yeah. So there's a couple of options when you're self-employed, but your two basic options is you have a solo 401k, which is just like a regular 401k, except you're your own sponsor because you're your own employer or what's called a SEP IRA, SEP. Um, a SEP IRA you can actually contribute to if you side hustle. So this was part of the reason I hit my 100K so fast is I had a 401K through work. I had an IRA, an individual retirement account that I just opened on my own. And pretty much anybody can have those. There are some income restrictions, but you can look those up. And then I also had a SEP IRA and I was contributing a certain percentage of my businesses at the time, my side hustles revenue to that, that retirement account. And so, yeah, you can do that if you're a full-time entrepreneur and you can also do it if you side hustle. And that's a really great way to like take advantage of all these tax benefits. Love it. Um, Tori, what would be like one last, uh, maybe a piece of advice or even just leaving thought? It could be money related or not um, to end us off on. Yeah. I would say that uh, having a financial education against a system that actively does not want you to have money. Yeah. They're trying to disenfranchise you. They're gatekeeping. They're they realize that when you don't have money and when you don't have a financial foundation, you can be controlled, right? Whether that's in an abusive relationship or at an abusive job, or um, just again, in a society that actively doesn't want you to have money and doesn't want you to have agency, having that financial foundation, not living paycheck to paycheck, having your flexibility, that is a form of protest in a society that doesn't want that. So um yeah, getting your financial shit together is 100% a benefit for you. And it also works to change the entire system in the way that way it's structured. Mm, mic drop. Thank you so much for being here. Where can everyone find you, follow you, all of the yeah. things that you do? I appreciate you having me. Yeah, so we're at Her First 100K on all the socials, H-E-R-F-I-R-S-T-100K, as well as HerFirst100K.com. And we also have the podcast called Financial Feminist that you can uh, listen to on Apple or Spotify. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much again. Thanks. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That is it for me today, you guys. Thank you so much for being here and for listening before you go, make sure that you rate, review, and follow as well as subscribe so you never miss an episode. And one thing you can share in the meantime, this podcast, obviously. Send it to a friend who needs some inspiration or give us some love on social media and tag us at Something to Share Podcast on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday.